sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. One of the key religious freedom cases in the Supreme Court this year involves whether religious schools are completely exempt from civil rights laws as they apply to elementary school teachers. And our guest today is one of the attorneys for the two women whose cases went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, Jennifer Lipsky, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. So I'd like to start by having you introduce us to your two clients. Sure. So we represent two teachers, Kristen Beal and Agnes Morrissey Baru. Uh, both worked for Catholic schools as fifth grade teachers. Um, I'll start with Kristen Beal. She worked initially as a substitute teacher for St. James School and a few other schools, um, including public schools, uh, another Catholic school, a Lutheran school. And in 2013, she was offered a position to teach the first grade in a part-time position where she would be splitting the, the semester with another teacher. So she would teach for two or three days a week and the other teacher would teach for two or three days a week. She was essentially substituting in for a teacher that was on maternity leave that term. Um, at the end of that school year, Sister Mary Margaret offered uh, Kristen Beal to teach as a full-time fifth grade teacher for the following year, which Kristen gladly accepted. Um, so she taught without issue that year. Um, over the Easter break, Kristen was unfortunately diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. So upon returning to school from the Easter break, she informed Sister Mary Margaret that she of her diagnosis of breast cancer, that she'd be needing some time off the following year to undergo treatments, including radiation, chemotherapy, a double mastectomy. Not long after that, Sister Mary Margaret told Kristen that the school would not be extending her contract for the upcoming school year. She thought it would be unfair to these students, two different teachers during the school year, which was interesting because they taught other grades and classes where they split time between two teachers. And if a teacher needed to go on maternity leave, um, that the teacher wouldn't be there for the full school year. And Sister Mary Margaret also made a comment to Kristen that she thought that it could scare some students um, because of how grim or, or sick she may be looking due to the treatments that she's undergoing. And so Kristen effectively was, was fired or, or not extended a new contract because of her disability, the cancer, and the treatments that she would require and, and some time off for the following year. And so that's a pretty clear violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in terms of the posture of how this case went up to the court, uh, what ruling was there from the trial court? Was it a jury trial? Was it a sure? So it was um, in the district court, and the um, the judge actually instructed the employer, the defendant, to file a motion for summary judgment based on the ministerial exception because they weren't actually even planning on bringing a motion for summary judgment. So it wasn't much of a surprise to us then when that same judge. Um, granted the motion for summary judgment based on the ministerial exception, and that effectively dismissed the case. And so we appealed to the Ninth Circuit. In the Ninth Circuit, we prevailed. Um, following that, the, the school filed a petition 
for rehearing and bonk, and that was denied. And then they petitioned the Supreme Court, and and so. And there you are. Yep. Um, the ministerial exception. I know. I said I want to talk about both clients. Miss Morrissey Baru had an age discrimination claim, right? Right. And what was the evidence that her termination after many years of teaching was due to age? Well, so when April Buter, the new principal, came in, she got rid of a few teachers. Um, I think all but one of them were older, um, over the age of 40, certainly, um, but I think maybe even over the age of 50 or 55. And uh, towards the end of Ms. Morrissey Brewer's employment, we learned from another teacher that um, April Buter had told that teacher, you know, if you want to get rid of older employees, if you want to get rid of people, this is how you do it. You cut down on their hours. You make them basically try to drive them out. And if they don't leave on their own, then you don't give them another contract. That's pretty good testimony. I know. Sure. Right. That's what happened with them. For those of us who represent workers, it doesn't get much better than that, right? Right. <laughs> right. All right. We had that declaration from a teacher. So let's talk about the ministerial exception. You said initially it was the district court judge in Ms. Beale's case that raised the issue in the first place. Um, what is it? And, you know, why is it? Sure. So, I mean, it's essentially a, a legal doctrine. Um, it's rooted in the First Amendment, the free exercise and establishment clauses. Um, essentially exempts religious organizations from the anti-discrimination laws, um, at least as pertains to decisions regarding their ministers. So what, how this comes down in these cases is the determination of the key question is who is a minister, who qualifies as a minister. Um, so the ministerial exception was first recognized by the United States Supreme Court um, in 2012 in the Hosanna Tabor Lutheran School case. Um, and prior to that, though, for decades, it had been recognized by lower courts. I think one of the first cases of interest to members of my church was a Seventh-day Adventist woman, Carol Rayburn case from Maryland back in the 1980s. It was one of the very first cases. But the basic concept is that, you know, judges aren't going to sit and second guess uh, religious organizations and how they assign, how they hire and fire their clergy. And that certainly makes sense when it comes to the ministers. The question is, how much sense does it make when it comes to elementary school teachers? And one of the questions that I had in this case was whether either of these Catholic schools hired only Roman Catholic teachers. Did they require them to be Catholic, to be, you know, regular in attendance or, you know, any particular religious requirements of their teachers? They were not required to be Catholic. Um, it was preferred, but it was not required of them. So Kristen um, had converted to Catholicism. She thought it would help her get a job uh, at a religious school, but she wasn't a devout Catholic by any means. Um, you know, she would go to church for Easter, Christmas, mm -hmm. but she wasn't a devout Catholic. Um, and Morsi Baru was was not a practicing Catholic. Um, when this case came down. So, but we have the testimony from uh, the principals and from Sister Mary Margaret that it wasn't required that the teachers be Catholic. It was preferred. So you're saying Ms. Morrissey Baru was not Catholic at the time that she was fired? Correct, I believe, right. So 
the effort here then is to extend the concept of this exemption. I gather that some are objecting to the calling it a ministerial exception, but it's really kind of a broad exemption uh, under the you know principle of religious autonomy not to interfere with the relationship between the church and those who are in some meaningful way carrying out the uh, transmitting the the beliefs and uh, you know representing the church. And I just don't see how uh, someone who's not even a member of the church could fall into that category. I would think that would be a pretty important characteristic that a court could objectively look at and say, nah, you know, that doesn't come within this exception. Right. And that's what we think. It should just be another consideration because, um, yeah, to say that you're going to place somebody in such an important role and position who is not even of that same faith, it's a little hard to believe. Um, and so we think it should definitely be at least a minimum, another consideration in this totality of circumstances, um, this sort of multi-factor consideration. So one other question, when I've listened to some who support the schools in this case, they emphasize that the teachers were involved in teaching the religion class and in prayer. And virtually anybody in a school that at least uh, you know functions in that way with um, you know, regular prayer and teaching of religion should be under this exemption. Talk about the facts of, you know, what did the teachers do in that regard? Sure. So both teachers, I mean, they taught secular subjects. Um, They taught every subject, math, social studies, science, reading, Um, but they also did teach religion for, they taught religion for about 30 minutes a day, about four days a week. Um, And they taught it straight out of a, a workbook that was a required workbook for them to use. Um, they, in uh, uh, Mrs. Beale's case, she didn't lead prayer in the classroom. She had student prayer leaders. Um, they already knew the prayers anyways. Um, and then she would accompany them to mass every month. So essentially her role in doing that was, was simply just to ensure that they remained seated during mass or would stand when, when required, but they remained silent and attentive um, during the mass. She wasn't leading any sort of um, sermons or preaching or or even leading prayers at or at the uh, mass. Mm-hmm. And with Miss Morrissey Baruch, she likewise. I mean, she um, I believe would lead a prayer in class once a day, but um, and then would take her students to mass. Um, I think she would help plan one mass uh, a semester with her students. But she also would would teach all the subjects to her fifth grade class and including religion for about 30, 40 minutes a day, four to five days a week. And it was strictly out of the workbook. Mm -hmm. So uh, by the time our listeners hear this, we will be probably getting a a Supreme Court decision any day. Uh, Looking into your crystal ball, uh, are there particular justices that you think you, you need to get in order to win? How are you feeling about your chances here? Well, I hate to speculate on this. Um, it is cloudy, I guess. <laughs> your crystal ball is a little cloudy today? Um, they, they could go different ways with it. I think we definitely need Kagan on our side and uh, Chief Justice. I think we seems as though we, we likely have um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on our side, um, Justice Sotomayor, and Justice Breyer. Um, 
I think it's going to come down to, you know, are they going to issue a very narrow ruling? Um, are, are they just going to make it very broad and expand the ministerial exception to any person that has any important religious function as part of their job? Um, which I think would be a complete sea change to where things are at and really bring in a lot of uh, different positions mm-hmm. currently most likely aren't covered by the ministerial exception. So it strikes me that, uh, you know, the, the treatment of Ms. Beale firing her for cancer was pretty outrageous. And that if the court goes against you, potentially um, teachers who are sexually harassed or who report harassment of students could be fired and and not have any, any right to complain about it. Is that right? Right. I mean, they would have no recourse because essentially they'd be considered a minister then if that's the way that the court rules. And how many teachers are there in religious schools? Was that part of the case before the court? I, I think it came in um, at the Supreme Court level, but hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And if you include other positions, nurses at religious affiliated hospitals, coaches, secretaries, um, you know, camp counselors, you know. A lot of people. Thousands of, of people that would potentially be sucked up into this ministerial exception. Well, we will be waiting with bated breath. Our guest today, Jennifer Lipsky, one of the attorneys for two women whose cases were heard in the Supreme Court by telephone argument this term. Decisions expected very soon. Jennifer, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. It's been great. Thanks, Alan. As we close, friends, remember here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. That's churchstate, all one word, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing. <laughs>